We're all on a journey to reach our full potential and purpose. And no matter where you are on your path, know that we walk together and not alone. At the Mission Leadership Institute, we believe the path to leadership is self-discovery. To support you, we're bringing the most advanced thinkers in the country to help unpack all that we carry with us on this journey in leadership. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Walk With Me podcast. I'm your host, Martin Schreiber, with the Mission Leadership Institute. Today, I am joined by Jesse Reamer. She is birth and postpartum doula and a certified forest therapy guide with the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy. Her work with those on the margins and with those who are experiencing their own pain has been transformative. We're talking about motherhood, nature, and healing elements we can use in our whole person journey. Okay, let's get started by welcoming Jesse. Uh, Jesse, I want to welcome you to a Walk With Me podcast, an opportunity where we hear from uh, really advanced thinkers throughout all of healthcare in the United States. And as we think about our module that's coming up in terms of vulnerability, uh, your presence, your career with expectant mothers is an, a window into those on a sacred journey. Uh, could you help us as we begin today understand the importance of the mother in our society today? Mm, I really was um, honored that you asked this question. It's such an exceptional question. And um, for me, when I think about motherhood and vulnerability, I think about how birth in motherhood is an opening up to the flow of our inner mother nature. Mm. And uh, that flow is beyond ego and personhood. And in that way, it's an opening up to the mystical made material. And to me, that's... Um, the experience of conceiving and gestating and nurturing something into loving beingness while actually not knowing what that will be or what the outcome will be or the journey will be. I feel like that's the ultimate act of vulnerability in this process. So it was really such a beautiful thing when, I, when you paired those two together of thinking about vulnerability and motherhood. Motherhood is in this way, I think it's non-binary. So just to include, all the beings that are in this process of creating whatever you're creating, um, whether it's the most complex being on the planet from a single organism to the human that we know and our colleagues and our friends and our families, to whether it's the tallest building in the biggest city. I feel like that's a part of this act of creation where we kind of move with that internal natural flow of creation and we have to surrender to that. The other part around motherhood is I feel like it's an embodiment of our life's purpose uh, where you simultaneously nurture and protect and also then release and surrender these gifts that you were meant to give to the world. These are gifts the way that a child chooses a mother. It's the way we receive and it's the way we receive our legacy into the world is through that act of opening up and vulnerability to to know how it's going to be. We don't have those you know, those knowing. So we're just trusting. There, there's a real element here of all of us who have walked through the pandemic and all of us kind of reflecting on, well, who have we become? And a lot of research and data is showing that the mother, the one who was trying to work from home, the one who was trying to keep the household going, uh, that was really uh, something uh, of a tremendous, tremendous uh, barrier and challenge. Yet there are ways that I imagine you're seeing as you walk with moms that they can teach our world, 
about the sense of courage and about just the different things that uh, we all go through, but they they can really be our teachers in this moment. Mm -hmm. The pandemic was a, was a moment when I saw almost like the external alignment of the world um, center on experiences that as a doula and a birth worker um, that I've seen and witnessed throughout the culture of supporting birthing people. I mean, if motherhood was an archetype, it's the archetype of nurture and nature together. And I felt like our communities stepped into and embraced that. What's most important to me? What do I need to nurture right now? We actually had a tremendous amount of, of interest in people becoming doulas because they were like, I'm finally going to live my passion. Or I saw people shifting in their professions because they're like, I'm really gonna bring my passion forward. So that's not lost on me in terms of the archetype of the mother and how we how we bring children into the world too. And, and true to understand your own path with nature and yeah. mother earth and <laughs> mother earth giving us these ways and these elements that maybe we might have forgotten as we lived in the Zoom culture. Uh, I know a number of different articles are coming up of just how Zooming has been quite a challenge for uh, women, for uh, all sorts of people in terms of body image and how they're thinking about themselves. You have advanced into the nature world and given us a tremendous amount of insight into how that might help us with our consciousness, with our, our way of seeing our identities. Could you talk a little bit about that sense of how maybe we move out of Zoom and we move into nature as an element as leaders? Mm, thank you. You know, the, when I think about this transition from the question about Brene Brown is the researcher that really brought this idea of vulnerability forward. And um, Brene speaks about wholeheartedness. And in the experience of embodiment and nature and then zooming, when we think about just this one piece of our sensory experience of being kind of in a two-dimensional world online, first step I often ask of individuals is to just take this moment, like we're literally sitting in front of a computer, but can you for this moment actually use that as a sit spot and get curious about what's around you? So that first step into nature is understanding that we're not separate from nature. Even if we're here on Zoom, even the act and creation of all this around us is part of nature. So I think that's, there's no separation. I think that's the first piece is to really understand that. And then I, I have stories and I thought about this story when I was relating to your work in Providence. And I used to work long shifts in, a hos in the hospital as a doula, 24 hour shifts, um, which I think many of your colleagues would relate to. And every day I would go out and I made a practice of my lunch hour, piece of my lunch hour would be spent. I would go down and exit to the area where there's the circle round at the Providence Portland main center where the cancer center is. And there's Emily Gamlin holding out her nourishing bread and a few rocks and this tree. And one of the next steps I offer up is developing relationship, even in a small way. And so every lunch hour for year after year, I worked there for seven years season after season, change after change, I would watch this one place and develop relationship with this one place in the in the way that um, the stones worked in relationship to the mosses and the way that the tree would then fill up with buds that would then bloom. And that helped me really have this opportunity to reflect on where are we seasonally as I would go in, whether it was the season of that moment and birth 
whether it was the season of where we are as an organization or the season in my career or my, my life. So that's the piece I would offer up to is they can be very simple practices. It's a beautiful way for us to just simply walk outside, especially for our people uh, who you are talking about in, in Portland and in, in the way that they see that statue. Smell is also a season and, and you're bringing that out. I mean, the beautiful apple orchards of Oregon and having them bloom in spring is a way that smell is activated. I wonder about that tree around Emily Gamlin and how it keeps on being activated uh, for us to experience something maybe a little deeper than ourselves are, are, are paying attention to in the technological world. I would love to read for you this. This is actually from David Abram, and he wrote the book, The Spell of the Sensuous. And I think he talks about this exactly in this piece for you around our sense of perception. And then I think about this in relationship to the sensory experience and participation. So this actually links to our leadership. This is a quote from The Spell of the Sensuous by David Abram. And he says, our most immediate experience of things, according to Merleau-Ponty, is a necessity in experiencing reciprocal encounter of tension, communication, and commingling. From within the depths of this encounter, we know the thing or phenomenon only as our interlocutor, and that's the only meaning we know it from our own person, as a dynamic presence that confronts us or draws us into relation. We conceptually immobilize or objectify the phenomenon only by mentally absenting ourselves from this relation, by forgetting or repressing our sensuous involvement. To define another being as an inert or passive object is to deny its ability to engage us and provoke our senses. We thus block our perceptual reciprocity with this being. By linguistically defining our surroundings and our world as a determined set of objects, we thus cut ourselves off from speaking ourselves from the spontaneous life of our sensing bodies. And even though in the contrast, I think about that as the op opportunity to really know what would it be like for us to lead, for example, with our sense of smell. If we were to stop and drop in and know that we're constantly gathering new information and being led by that um, smell, what tells us every day about uh, whether we move towards something or away from something, it draws us in or directs us around. It really makes me think of you with moms as they birth and the smells. Obviously, there's tons of them, and I've been at four of these. But one of the things about it is, am I more sympathetic? Am I more in compassion when there are certain smells that come into my consciousness? Is that been your experience um, of, of these ways that we might as leaders be able to utilize the sense of smell so that I can begin to really be present, uh, be sympathetic, be compassionate? Uh, are there moments that, that you have seen in your life where this takes place? Mm, absolutely. I think the moment of birth is always predicated by a sense of smell. There's actually a smell that comes into the room when the birth is imminent. And it's hard to describe because it might literally be explained by a culmination of amniotic fluid and bodily fluids and blood, and then the smell of the baby and vernix, that there's a knowing in that sense of smell. There's always a moment before the person often then says the baby's coming or mm -hmm. there's an acknowledgement in the room that the baby's coming. And that is 
a signal from nature about the rightness of that timing. And so I think one thing that our sense of smell can offer us is the rightness of our internal timing. Mm. And that's, that's definitely a message I would bring forward in our leadership is to know how do we sync up with that internal timing. That's a beautiful thought in terms of our own sense of when it's right to say something, when it's right to approach, when it's right to listen, uh, when it's right just simply to be present. And I wonder the scent almost can take over uh, for us not to have to use words, but to let it kind of take over the room. And then do I recognize that I might have a scent myself? And so then I have to be cognizant of that and does it change or based upon what I'm dealing with? Um, has been very striking to me uh, to be attentive to that, the self-awareness of our own scent. Now you're getting me into the hormones because then I think about labor. I'm wearing my T-shirt today that says, may the oxytocin be with you. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. My son's down <laughs> watching Star Wars, so that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> no, totally. And then there is the smell of what that means for the smell of fear, and which is the op- opposite of love in that sense of meaning that if there is fear present, then oxytocin is dampened in order to keep a person safe and they, you know, not to birthing, not to birth a baby in a place that's not safe. And of course, oxytocin, the love hormone is what helps an individual be open because it moves the labor forward. And then it's the bonding hormone and love hormone. So it's the, it's the hormone that drives all the way through the labor, which is um is really interesting because then that smell is the smell that draws us in to smell the baby's head and there's actually um relationship between a baby's smell and uh and then how the parent wants to take care of the baby it turns on that oxytocin um there's a relationship between how the baby can smell the amniotic fluid smell and the breast milk of the parent hmm. so seeing that those two connect and are they're literally the first ways that we know and have a sense of our companion in that dyad of the mother-baby dyad. It's beautiful to think that relationship is beyond just uh, these formalities of talking or what I do for you, but there can actually be an almost a, a consciousness of I belong to you. And, yeah. and isn't it true in our world and what we're suffering from in, in the aspects of division and, and these tribes against this tribe and the war in Ukraine, that there's almost a repulsiveness towards certain people and in terms of almost like a pungency uh, that we wouldn't go close to them. Have, ha, have you found there are ways to heal this, heal the ways that we kind of re, we recline from each other? Uh, are there ways that we could come together to unify, uh, to bring about uh, a commonality? Yes, this is where I would actually point to um, one of the commonalities that we might share with nature. And this speaks of the mother trees. Um, The mother tree is a name that actually came from Suzanne Simard and she wrote the book, Finding the Mother Trees. They're the oldest and biggest trees in the forest. And their job is to be the glue that holds the forest together. Their genes carry the the history of all of their generations of place. And uh, and their emphasis is on supporting biodiversity and that each relationship, the mother tree is actually like a conduit for each of these relationships that connect and encourage reciprocity. And so that leaning into diversity would be a place where we then could, to answer your question, 
use that sense of any time we feel that kind of repugnance or restriction or, ooh, I don't know, would be potentially a place for us to lean into curiosity. Mm. I was uh, a long time ago with one of my dear colleagues was in a room and she looked and she asked me, she said, look around the room and then I want you to walk around the room and tell me who you are totally triggered by. And it was a person where I was like, ooh, that strong scent. It was someone who had lots of perfumed things on. And she said, that's the person you need to go talk to. Ah, beautiful. That, re that moment for me was a lesson in um, acknowledging that the biodiversity is what keeps us health healthy as a community. And that's what the mother tree teaches, that their job is to make sure that um, that there's interactivity. And so we even have reciprocity with the trees. If we stand before a tree, we're breathing out the carbon dioxide and and they're breathing that in and giving us oxygen back. And that's just one, you know, it's the simplest one to answer that question, but to realize, oh, this is um, a place for us to stay curious. I love the curiosity because we're asking uh, many caregivers at Providence to venture in to forest bathing as a dimension of leadership. Could you talk a little bit about what that is going to look like, how that might be a place that we could bring all of this, uh, this vulnerability, our sense of smell, and then nature together as a way we bring forward a new dimension of our leadership at Providence? Mm, yes. So forest therapy is a term that is defined by the founder, Amos Clifford, of the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy. However, it was also um, born a tradition by a Japanese cultural tradition of healthcare called Shinrin-yoku. And so as it traveled to the West and the way it was born into the West is that forest therapy is a relational practice that brings people into deeper intimacy with the natural places around them. Um, one of my beliefs is that our sense of place is part of our is part of our healer. It's one of our healers in our tool bag of healers is that our sense of place. Um, one of those natural places is also our own natural self. Uh, it's a practice that holds the possibility of meeting again the kernel of who we are and who we were born to be, and then how we intend to use that service in the world. So this opportunity for us in Providence to go out into the forest is an opportunity for us to meet ourselves. And it's an important part of the practice is to recognize that it is a practice. Um, it takes curiosity, engagement, and a commitment. Um, the reward of that, though, is that we develop a relationship with the therapist, which is in our training, the forest is the therapist. And by placing ourselves in that relationship, we have the opportunity to um, step into spontaneity. Uh, we have the opportunity to step into um, uh, all of our feelings and then to get to know those parts of ourselves because we're receiving also back just general benefits that are well documented. We're receiving the benefits of well being in terms of boosted immune system function, improved cardiovascular. Uh, lowered blood pressure, respiratory health, attention, reduction in stress and depression. Um, these are things that are already documented. The most important for me is that we feel like we're stepping into a place of restoration, of connection between each other, that sense of interdependence. And by observing that in the forest, I think that interdependence is then something that brings 
us back into what it would look like um, for us as we look at our own legacies or we look at the legacy of an organization. We are but individuals in this organization. And so how we align our personal path is going to be a part of that that leaves those seeds and DNA for those next generations. Each ring of leadership is going to be one that paves the path before it. And, um, and I'm really excited to see that Providence has really taken this approach uh, in, in true body, mind, and spirit. <laughs> That's right. And, and as you are giving us this image of the rings, and isn't it true that that does help us to know that we're building out from that core, from the root of the legacy of the sisters, of, of the force for good that generated that core, generated those roots, and we're on the outside. Uh, we're, we're trying to weather some of those storms, those headwinds, the rains, uh, which I'm wondering are going to be with us or not uh, when we're in the forest with you, but the fact is that uh, we're a part of that tree, and it's such a deep image. And so thank you for giving us that. I think that really helps us to, to move into this sense experience to understand how we're part of the rings of, of our tree of life at Providence. Thank you. Well, Jesse, this has been an extraordinary conversation, one that has brought us into uh, birth, uh, into the forest, and then into this aspect of succession and being a part of a legacy in the core of a tree and in the roots of who we are as a ministry. So I look forward to seeing you uh, in Portland, and I want you to know that what you're doing brings tremendous courage to so many people in our world. So thank you, Jesse. Thank you. I want to thank Jesse for joining us and to everyone for listening. To learn more about Jesse, visit mothertreebirth.com and foresttherapypdx.net. You can find the Providence Mission Leadership Institute on LinkedIn. Be well.